from Ethiopia back. How was it, guys? They're falling out. They're going, oh, I'm trying to be awake. Got bit by that mosquito thing. Uh, I got a chance Friday. Am I, like, echoing or something, Bob? Help me out here. I got a chance Friday to uh, hear from Audrey a little bit about their trip to Ethiopia, and, and I was a little blown away. I'm going, glad I didn't go. It was tough stuff, some hard things. Uh, and so we'll get a chance to hear from them. I, th- I would encourage you to, you know, Morgan and Joel are here, and Charlie and Audrey, and I think Denise and Justin are picking up Jeff from the airport. He was in Haiti. Am I missing someone? That's the team. And so get a chance to talk to them individually, and we'll get a chance on the 15th of July in a couple weeks to hear from the team, maybe hopefully see some pictures, and, and that'll be encouraging to us. I want to thank Philip for introducing us to Jonah last week. That was great. I appreciate that. It's good to have have him here, and he can do that. And I was planning on continuing on in Jonah. In fact, I told Philip I would. In fact, I think the youth has done the whole book of Jonah already, right? Is the youth here? Yes, they're already done. I told Philip a couple months ago, when we finish John, we're going to go to Jonah. Well, it took us longer to finish John, and We're still not in Jonah yet, but Philip has given us that kick, and so we'll get to Jonah eventually. I'm just promising that. It's a short book. It's only four chapters, so we'll get to it before the end of the summer. But today, I think God has something different for us. I want to focus for the next, really, three weeks on something else. Over the past several months, the elders and I, with the input of many in the congregation, have been working on a a thing called, and some of you are familiar with this, some have not, a thing called a mission statement. A mission statement for our church, for Bridges Christian Fellowship. Put simply, a mission statement is designed to answer the, the doing question. What do I mean by that? What are we as a church supposed to be doing? What is our mission? What are we to be about? And we've talked about that, and with much thought, and prayer, and input, we've developed a mission statement for Bridges. And I'm going to read it to you in a second. I I put it in the sermon notes with some fill-in-the-blanks to have some dramatic impact. This is really a, a big deal for us, just so you know. And there are really two forms of the mission statement. The first is a short phrase. And the short phrase is designed to to communicate what we're to be doing, but also to generate interest, not to answer all the questions. Maybe something you could put on a t-shirt, a bumper sticker, something a little provocative. And the short phrase, it's number one and your first page there, is equipping world changers. Equipping world changers. Is it up there? All right, we're on track. So what do we mean by that? Well, the second, longer form of the mission statement, really a sentence, is designed to give a fuller picture of what, of what that means. That could mean a lot of things. It could mean a lot of things to change your world, but we, we sort of have this longer statement that sort of defines it a little better. The mission of Bridges Christian Fellowship, and this is in your notes also, with a few blanks to fill in, is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. Okay? So that's our our mission statement, the full statement. But even that could use, I think, some further explanation. So my plan is, for the next three weeks, counting today, so two weeks after this, 
is to help us not only understand this mission statement, what it means, but to begin and even continue to start implementing it, to start thinking about it in our own world. How can we be equipped as world changers? How can we do this? So these next three messages will lead us into our, our family forums. On July 15th, we're having a family forum. And at the family forum, we'll have opportunities to talk about it. We'll have opportunities to share a little more fully. So I'm really going to focus on the scriptural basis for our mission statement here. So, so where should we begin as we look at this mission statement? You would think you might want to begin at the beginning, but I want to begin at the end. As I've talked to people about this statement, as I've shared it with different people, most of the questions have centered around that idea of, of world changer, of being a, a world changer that, that comes up at the end of the statement. What does it mean to, to be a world changer? What does it mean to change your world? That sounds huge. It sounds really big, and it could be overwhelming. Well, let me read for you what what we mean by world changers. This explanation that I, we developed with the elders, myself, the elders, others with input, I've put it on the, on the website and we'll give it out on the 15th at the family forum. But let's just look at those two words and let's look at them in reverse order, okay? What does it mean to, what do we mean by change? When we speak of change, we're speaking of the change that is prescribed by the word of God positive change that addresses the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the world, and that ultimately brings people into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So that's what we mean by change, a positive, Christ-centered, biblical-based change that ultimately the goal is that people will have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what do we mean by world? The word world is meant to be taken in, in two ways. We're speaking first of the world that God has placed you in. Your world is wherever you are. We want to equip people to change the world in which they live and work and shop and play. The world, your world, your sphere of influence, where you are at. But second, when we're speaking of the world, we're also speaking of the whole world, to the ends of the earth. We want to equip people to see the world and seek God for where they might be involved in making changes, maybe in some distant places, maybe in Ethiopia, maybe in Egypt, in some different places, through prayer, through financial support, through going yourself, going as a long-term missionary. That's why we support missionaries. And, and let me say this about our mission statement. And I said this when we talked about our core values, and I think this is key. When we talked about our core values, we, we didn't like invent these and now we're going to do them. We looked at who we were and said, these are the values we have. Now let's, let's put them in a structure, let's list them out, let's write them down. The same thing is true of our mission statement. Our mission statement is really about who we have been and who we want to grow into being even more. So this isn't a new thing. So it has to do with our sending out long and short-term teams, this second part of the definition of world. So what we mean by world changer, a world changer is one who seeks to make a positive, biblical, Christ-centered change in their world and that that would extend to 
the world to the ends of the earth. That's what we want to be about as a church. Now, as I discuss the idea of being a world changer with different people, especially with regards to that first definition of the word world, of, of the world around you, of the world where you live, inevi inevitably we came to the passage that Charlie read for you this morning, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Being a world changer means being salt and light in your world. So with the, that in mind, I want to just take a look at these verses this morning. Take a look at Jesus' challenge to his disciples. And I think that challenge extends to us here this morning. His challenge of being salt and light. But before I look at the scripture, I want to read to you an email. This email I got this week. And to me, this email just shouted out, being salt and light in your world. So let me just read it to you. Dear Cliff, my name is Paul Strumpf, and I'm the pastor of Colton Community Church in Colton. I just wanted to take a moment and let you know how impressed I was with your church this last week. The church stepped up and was an excellent testimony to my neighbors when Richard and Tina's house caught fire last Thursday. I happened to live right across the street from them and was with them during that awful morning. When the sun came up and the word got out that a member of your church needed help, they responded. I watched with great joy as people from the church came over to their house on Thursday and just started helping them relocate and move their stuff out of their house. It was the church that was here again all day fr on Friday cleaning the smoke-laden toys and treasures as the insurance company and the professionals just watched in amazement. That would be good enough in and of itself, but the church often belittled as unimportant by many that shine brightly by those neighbors who watched it all unfold. My next-door neighbors said that they didn't know what church they went to, but, but it was sure great that they came out to help. As they stood in awe over all of the help that had come out to assist Richard and Tina, then another neighbor also gave testimony to me about how great it was seeing how the church really helped the family in need. Neither of these people who spoke to me attended church. God used your church as a testimony of the love of Christ to them. So I just wanted to encourage you to continue on and press forward. I used your people as an example of the church glorifying God and being seen as the true light in times where people are looking for community and connection. May the Lord continue to use you to encourage and strengthen his flock. Please let your church know that the world was watching and the world saw the love of Jesus through the service of his people. Thanks for your hard work and perseverance. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Your partner in the gospel, Paul. When I read that, I was, I was pretty amazing. I don't, I don't know about you, but... But as I read it, it became clear to me that in the midst of a very difficult situation, God worked through his church to display his glory. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how we're to be salt and light in our world. But there's a problem, as I, as I look at Richard and Tina, there's a problem here. Anybody see it? In this case, someone's house had to burn down. Now, unless we want to take turns, 
burning down one another's houses. I'm not advocating that. We need to look for other opportunities to be salt and light in our world. And we've heard some this morning, haven't we? The, the opportunity among international students. And I think we're, we're, we're going for that. We're, we're going for that. Thank Marshall and, and others who are working on that. Sending short-term teams. The Ethiopia team is back. And other things. We're, we're doing that. But I just wanted this morning to encourage us even more that this is what God is calling us to. Not just when houses burn down. Not even just when international students are around. But as a normal part of our life, we as the church are salt and light. So that's why the, the subtitle of the sermon, Being Salt and Light, is even when no, one, no one's house is on fire. If we're going to accomplish our mission of changing the world around us, then being, in salt, being salt and light needs to become a, a normal part of, of who we are, of what we do. So in that, with that in mind, I want to look at the passage for today. And I have two simple points that, that you could probably fill in already if you, if you haven't, if you're having the notes or on the reverse side of the notes. First, we'll look at what it means to be salt, and then we'll look at what it means to be light. Again, and there's, there's a little difference there. There's a little difference. There's some nuance there. Jesus didn't just say you're the salt of the earth or you're the light of the world. He said you're both. And there's some, some differences there. Now, just so Jonah gets in here, so you guys know, I didn't forget totally about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to be salt or light to Nineveh. Done with Jonah for today. We'll get back to him. So first point, being salt. Matthew 5.13, once more. You are the salt of the earth. Notice that word are there, you are. It's just, it's, it's what it is. You are the salt of the earth. You as, as my disciples, Jesus says, are the salt of the earth. You don't have to try to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You're, you're the only salt the earth has. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. These words are, are so famous. They're famous in the church and outside of the church. They become an English proverb. If someone is genuine and useful and honest, straightforward, without hypocrisy, integrity, we say they're the, the salt of the earth, right? So what does Jesus mean when he says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth? You know, we, we need to understand a little bit about the context. We need to understand a little bit about salt in, in that day. And it's not totally different, but a little bit. Salt was one of the most common but valuable substances in the ancient world. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. And uh, there have been recorded revolts because they didn't get their salt. They didn't get their salt ration. Our English word salary, you know, we get our salary either once a month, twice a month, once a week, however we're paid, comes from the Latin meaning Latin salarium, which literally means salt money. Today, when we think of salt, we think of this stuff on our, our table. We think of it as, first and foremost, as a seasoning, something we take into our bodies, something we ingest. If you, know, if you, you pick up any cookbook, which I often do, I'm quite the chef. Just kidding. Ask my wife. But many, many recipes, the recipes I am aware of, chocolate chip cookies, that's about it. Even those include a little salt. Almost everything we eat, even cakes and cookies and things, have that, that pinch of salt. Most people like to add salt to their food, right? My wife is what I call a, a salt person. 
when we go to the movies, we have to we get the popcorn, but we have to divide it in two before because she puts tons of salt on it. I'm just a little salt, so I'm not a salt person. She likes a lot of salt. So when eaten, salt adds that extra flavor, or actually it brings out the flavor if, if done right. And it also creates thirst. We're aware of that, that salt creates thirst. You know, that's why they, you know, they put it, a lot of it on the popcorn, so then you have to buy the drink too. One other thing about salt, and you may be aware of this or not, but salt is necessary for life. You have to have sodium in your diet or you die. How many, how many of you guys are Star Trek fans? All right, so this analogy will work for you five people. Otherwise, but, but there was, there's one of my favorite Star Trek episodes. They go to this planet, and on this planet, there's this, for lack of a better word, probably call him alien. And this alien could take different forms, so it was like hiding out. It was, it was uh, pretending to be another person and stuff. That's not all really important. But, the, but they kept finding those guys. You know those guys in the red suits? that come down on Star Trek, this is the original one, that die, they kept finding them showing up and they were dead. And then the doctor would examine them and he would say, Jim, I'm, I'm a doctor, not a chemist, not a mineralogist. These men have no salt in their body. They died because the alien would grab them with the little, little sucky things and suck out all the salt in their body. You guys remember this? All right, thanks. All that to say, you need salt to live. And the Star Trek guys in the red shirts found that out the hard way. So as, as the salt of the earth, we play a vital role in our world. We are those whom Christ uses to bring life to our world. We alone have the message of life that Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save the lost. And how do we communicate that message? And how do we communicate that message? As the salt of the earth, I think we're to add flavor to our world, in a world full of different flavors. You have all kinds of things to choose from in our world, all kinds of flavors, all kinds of pleasures, all kinds of things you can do that ultimately don't satisfy, right? We provide, as the church, the only flavor, the only pleasure, the only joy that endures. We should exude the flavor of Jesus Christ the flavor of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, the flavor of helping people out, the flavor of, of personal sacrifice, these things exude, should exude from us. And when we do, as we did, some of us, I was, I was on vacation in Disney, at Disneyland enjoying the flavors of the world, I guess. Uh, but as, as many of us did, as many of you did at the Buckbinder's house, as we saw through... Paul's email, that creates a thirst in people's souls. They'll see what we have and they'll want to know where it comes from. And then we can lead them to Jesus Christ, to that living water, where there their thirst can be quenched. We're creating this thirst, being the salt, but it's Christ and Christ alone who quenches the thirst. So as the salt of the earth, we add flavor, we create thirst, and we bring life to the world. But salt has another purpose besides seasoning. You may or may not be aware of this because that's pretty much the purpose that the average person knows about salt today in our world. But this was especially needed in the ancient world. Salt was a seasoning there too. It was ingested as well. But it also was used as a 
preservative, as a preservative. They didn't have refrigerators or freezers or man-made chemicals, so they used salt. And salt delays spoilage. It, it stops things from decaying. It doesn't prevent it completely, but it slows down the process of decay. Meat left to itself, you stick a piece of meat out, it'll spoil. Cure the meat with salt, and it will last much, much longer. You know, some, some see our world, have seen our world in the past, and even continue to see our world as moving forward, as progressing, as advancing, as becoming better and better. But Jesus, more than anyone, knew the true character, the true nature of our world. He says in John 7, 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says of our world, its works are evil. Jesus knew the world, what the world is like. It's like a piece of rotten, putrefying meat that gets worse and worse each day. Yes, we experience advance. We experience some major advances. Every day brings new breakthroughs in, in medicine, in science, communications, technology. And yet, at the same time, the moral climate grows darker and darker. It's like that piece of meat left out in the sunshine, we move farther and farther away from the standard set forth in God's word. And we can see that as we look back in history. And So we're not, we as the salt of the earth, we're not stopping the decay. But God's calling us to, to slow it down. We're to stand up for the truth of God, the truth found in God's word. We're to be people of honor and integrity. We're to stand up for what is right in our country, our state, our city, our jobs, at our work, where the rubber oftentimes really hits the road, in our schools, and in our families. Being the salt of the earth means actively purif being an active purifying agent to hinder the spread of evil. So how does this work? Probably many of you are doing this without even thinking about it. I just want to give one simple example from, from my family. About a month ago, I was talking with, you know, that sort of contrast, the world's view and then, and then the view of, the, I, I hope, the Christian, certainly in, in my, my family, in my house. About a month ago, I was talking with my wife's uncle. And somehow the conversation, in the conversation, came up to one of the rules that Christina and I have in our, in our home. The rule is that our children, who happen to be adults, 20 and 23, but live at home, are not allowed to have friends of the opposite sex into our house when we're not there. Simple enough. Probably others have similar rules. Well, Christina's uncle thought that was crazy. That was ridiculous. He pointed out that they were adults and that was a silly rule and, and it wasn't going to stop them from doing anything that, in his words, came natural. And the conversation went on from there. That, that's not the point, really. But I hope you get the point of the silly rule. Christina and I are trying to, to be salt in our home. Ex and and, th and that, that will extend to other homes as well of, of their friends. We're seeking to preserve the standards of God's word. We don't have any delusions that in our, if our adult children want to violate these standards, that they have plenty of opportunities to do that. But we're letting them know that these standards exist. We're letting them know they're important to us. We're letting them know they're important to God. So in a world whose standards are shifting and declining, the church 
must seek to preserve the standards of God's words in, in all kinds of different ways in our own worlds. We are, in many ways, the conscience of the community, acting and speaking out for what is right and true. We're the salt, the preservative of the earth. Notice that Jesus also gives a warning to the salt. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So what does that mean? What's Jesus saying here? How does salt lose its taste? I didn't know salt could be less salty. In fact, I read up on this, and without a chemical reaction, some, adding some, chemical, some other chemicals in there, salt is salt is salt. It stays salt. But remember, we're not talking about our purified salt. We're talking about salt from the ancient world. We're talking about salt that is, when mined, it's mixed with impurities and could continue to be mixed with impurities. The more impurities, the less salty the salt is. So I think Jesus' warning is clear. Yes, we are the salt of the earth. We're to, we're to be having that flavoring and that preserving impact on the world around us. But we're also to remain pure, to be set apart. We can't allow the world to influence us. We have to be the influencers in the world. If we allow the world to have more impact on us than we're having on the world, then, then we lose our flavor. We're just like them. We, we, we fade in with the impurities, with the, what Jesus calls the evils of the world. We lose our preserving nature. We lose our saltiness. No one notices any difference in us and everyone else around them. We'll just be like the world and therefore no longer good for anything. Therefore, Jesus says, you'll be thrown out and trampled under feet. In John 17, Jesus says to his disciples, they are, says about his disciples to the Father, this is Jesus' prayer, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. We are not of the world. This is not our home. And therefore, we cannot let the world corrupt our saltiness. To be the salt of the earth, to add flavor, to create thirst, to bring life, to preserve. We have to be, as the saying goes, in the world for sure, but not of the world, right? So Jesus says this about salt. We're the salt of the earth. Then he moves to light. That's our second point this morning, being the light. I hope you remember from our study in the Gospel of John that Jesus says of himself, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now in Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is the light of the world, and we, his church, his followers, his disciples, are also the light of the world. I take that to mean that, that Jesus, the true light, is able to shine through his church. When people look at our lives and hear our words, they should see a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for us to be the light of the world. We're to shine forth, reflecting what Christ has done in our lives. But we have a choice. 
as to whether we'll shine or not? Will we allow the light of Christ to be seen, to, be, to shine forth, or will we put it under, as Jesus says, put it under a basket? Because of fear, because of sin, will we hide the light of Christ? Or will we, as the, the famous song, the children's song goes, this little light of mine, I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Are we going to, are we going to, Follow that song. Follow Jesus' words. Are we going to let our light shine or are we going to hide it? That's our choice. And notice the simple command of verse 16. Let your light shine before others. Before others. You know, some aspects of being salt can be done sort of in the background. Sort of you have this, this salty nature and, and, it's in, and this preserving nature, but it can be done in the background. But light shining is public. You can turn on a light in an empty room and it will remove the darkness, but no one will see it. It won't do any good. In the same way, you can live the Christian life in secret, but it isn't going to be any good for anything. It isn't going to be any good for anyone. If your light is going to shine, it's going to shine before people. Somebody has to see it before it can do any good. And Jesus said two things will happen when we let our light shine before others. First, they will see your good works. Okay? The word for good is the Greek kalos. It means valuable, virtuous, attractive, beautiful, lovely. They'll see your lovely, attractive, beautiful works. It really means the things that are positive in their eyes. Jesus is saying that people will be attracted by the beauty, the virtue of your works. Really, being light is allowing people to see the beautiful things that Christ has done in you. The way he's transformed your life. That's what it means to let your light shine, that people see your good works. They see what Christ has done in you. Taking time out of your schedule to spend with someone who's hurting. Baking cookies and giving them to a neighbor. Spending time with a, a, a kid, a child who's lost a parent through death or divorce. Stopping to help someone on the side of the road. Helping to meet the needs of the poor. Not just giving money, but engaging in, in people's lives. Trying to help them long term. Counseling someone who's thinking of divorce. Or helping someone whose house is, has burnt down. And I could go on and on. Let me, let me define. Let me define good works in this way. Good works are words or actions that seek to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of others. Good works are works, are words or actions that seek, seek to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of others. And there are thousands of potential good works. Thousands of ways to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the people in your lives. Thousands of ways for people to see your good works. And notice Jesus said, when they see your good works. He didn't say, or he could have said, when they hear your great oratory skills. Or when they sit in your lovely churches. Or when they hear your wonderful music. Or when they read your great statements of faith. He could have said that, but he didn't. He simply said, when they see your good works, when they see the way you live, 
when you let your light shine through by doing good works, a second thing happens. And this is really the the goal we're shooting for ultimately. Verse 16 said, And those who see our good works will give glory to our Father who's in heaven. When you let your light shine before men by doing good works, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Our good works are really a pointer to God. They take that light and they shine it on God. They're really, if I might, they're really God works. If they're, if they're, if they're designed, if they're in your heart, if they're seeking to bring glory to God, they're really His works. Our good works can lead people to our Father in heaven. Through the light of Christ shining through us, we can, we can lead people out of darkness and into the light. Now this implies something very important. As we seek to do good works in the world around us, we must always do them in the name of the Lord. We have to distinguish ourselves from other kinds of of good works. Others doing works for other reasons. We do our works for the glory of God. And therefore we have to be clear that the source, the ability, the power we have to do our good works are the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus makes our works good. This may be as simple as letting people know as you're doing the good work that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you're a Christian. Why are you helping me, someone might ask, because I serve Jesus Christ, who's helped me in far greater ways. When we're clear that our works come from our commitment to Jesus, then doors will open for us to share the great things that Jesus has done in us. And when that happens, people are given an opportunity to come to Christ themselves. People are given an opportunity to glorify God by giving their lives to Jesus. The ultimate glory. The ulti- God, God seeks glory. And you know how he, see- he seeks it in people giving their lives to him. God is glorified by people giving their lives to him. I can't imagine anything greater. Anything more awesome. Anything higher. Any higher purpose we can have. We have in our hands an enormous influence for good. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We can make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around us. We can literally, quite literally, change their world. As they see the beauty of Christ in our lives, they'll be attracted to the Jesus we then talk about. As they see the light in us, they'll see the one who gives us the light. They'll be attracted by our works, but they'll be attracted to the Savior, to God, and he will get the glory. This is our mission, to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to their world. We've been commissioned by Jesus Christ to change our world, to change our world by being salt and light. And I believe that sometimes we do a great job at this. We do a really good job at this. When needs are clear, when the needs around us are clear, I think we do a good job. Like when someone's house has just burnt down. We're willing to step up, to do the good works, to, to let our light shine. But when the needs are less obvious, we, we oftentimes struggle. When the needs are external and physical, we know what to do. You know, we know how to meet those needs. But when needs are internal, especially spiritual, it's more difficult. People 
because people often don't even recognize their need. You know, it's, 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 off, it's, it's much easier to help someone who knows they're in need than someone who doesn't. So let me encourage us. Even when needs are less obvious, the world still clearly needs salt and light. And the only place they can get it is from the church. That's the only source. Jesus said, you are the salt. You are the light. He did it. There's no other one. There's no other salt and light. It's the church of Jesus Christ. So in application and application, I mean, it's a long workup, but I think the application may be clear for us. Let me suggest that we make a simple commitment to the Lord. Because sometimes it's difficult to see where we're supposed to be salt and light. Let me suggest, let me ask, let me challenge you to make it part of your daily prayer. And I'm assuming you're praying daily. If you're not, maybe that's an application too. Praying daily. But let's assume that. Make it part of your daily prayer to ask God to reveal to you that day the needs in your world. To make it clear to you that you can have those infrared glasses on and those heat-seeking glasses that you'll see in your world when, oh, there's a need. There's where I can be salt and light. To show us where we can have that world-changing impact of salt and light to the people around us. We can, and let me say this, you know, there are some prayers that, what kind of prayers does God promise to answer? Prayers according to his will, right? So there are some things you're probably praying and you're just hoping for it. Maybe it's God's will, maybe it's not. Let me assure you, this prayer will be answered because it's God's will. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, same good works that Jesus is talking about us being salt and light, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. God has prepared good works for you. He's prepared places for you to meet the needs of others. You just have to see it. And sometimes it's, it's difficult to see. Sometimes we're walking around with blinders on. I've been doing that. I mean, this, this verse, especially verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, has been just playing over and over in my head for the last several months, I would say. And I've been thinking about it and praying over it. I've been doing this, this very thing, and I'm kind of dense, so it, it took a while. I've been asking God, what are the good works you have prepared for me? Where am I supposed to be salt and light? Where can I change my world? And it took a while, but I finally, he finally got through to me. He opened my eyes to, to a need. I mean, not that this is the only need. I don't think there's just one. There's probably lots of them. Some of them small, you can meet quickly. Some of them are long-term. And he opened my eyes to a long-term need that was right in front of my face. And I, I can't really share it with you completely because it involves other people's lives, personal lives of others. But I would say that it involves a long-term commitment to some people who've experienced a great loss in their life. They've experienced some major pain. And they're in my world already. And I can meet that need. I can seek to meet that need. I can seek to be salt and light in their world. And I'm, I'm just beginning that process. Because sometimes when you're salt and light, it's, it's, it's like that. It just happens quickly. Okay, you're helping someone on the road and you do it in the name of Christ. And, and you've 
planted that seed. You've been that salt, that light to them. But sometimes it's people in your family, and it, it takes a commitment, a long commitment. So I'm really looking forward to see what God will do to change the world for these folks. So again, just in, in conclusion, I just want to encourage us. You know, if this is going to be our mission, if we're going to seek to be world changers, we have to actively pursue being salt and light. We have to ask the Lord daily, you know, Lord, what are the needs that you want me, what are the good works you've prepared for me? What do you want me to do today, Lord, for your glory, for your kingdom? Seek the Lord. Ask him to reveal these good works that he's prepared for you, that you might change your world. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you changed our world. Each person here who knows you, their world was changed in a radical fashion because of you and because of someone who was willing to be salt and light in their world. Father, I pray that we would remember that, we would recognize that. And Lord, I pray for each person here that, that we would commit on a daily basis to come before you, the author of life, the author of these good works that you've prepared for us, that you would, we would seek you for the ways this day and days to come that we're to be salt and light in our world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.